I want to jump right into our Bible study tonight. And while we're having Bible study, I, I, I do this periodically. I would like to remind you that inside the sanctuary right now is relatively peaceful. And um, I think it's a very serene environment here right now. But it's not that way all over the campus. Uh, we have kids upstairs, uh, lots of them. Uh, I met with Shaquana Sunday morning, and um, our 5 to 11 group, uh, 5 through 10, I believe she said, uh, they're working out Christmas stuff for our Christmas presentation, and, and they're averaging about 35 just in that age group. So it's not quite as peaceful there as it is here, and that don't count, you know, nursery two, the, our three through five-year-olds, and uh, right on up the, the ladder it goes. Uh, they're having worship in the A Center next door with our youth group, so uh, keep those folks, our staff and our students, in your prayer, and um, that God just keeps growing Grace Church, and we're very thankful for that. The reason I mention that is uh, not only are we running out of room quickly on Sunday morning, but now room is becoming an issue on Wednesday nights as well for children's ministry. So we have some decisions to make here pretty soon, some things that we'll have to do, and uh, we need your prayers and certainly need your support. That's what you get when you preach and teach vision, right? Your church building fills up, and you got to figure out what you're going to do in the future. And uh, as a matter of fact, when we were all in here Sunday for service Sunday, uh, the sanctuary was very full here Sunday, and uh, if that trend continues, and I anticipate it will, then uh, we'll either have to look at an overflow room or even perhaps go to two services on Sunday. So I'm just mentioning those things. We want to be prepared when the moment comes, and uh, we'll engage it the best we can. Everybody said amen. <clears throat> uh, I want to uh, jump into our Bible study tonight. I've been teaching for the past a uh, couple of Wednesday nights on how to develop vision. Uh, I, I would like nothing more, I would appreciate nothing more than all of our church people to become visionary people in an appropriate way. Uh, when you put the kingdom first, when you put God first in your life, and you plan around His will and purpose, then great things happen in your life. When you cut God out of your plans, then you get into trouble. And uh, that's typically how that works. So I'm going to do just a, a, a few minutes of review about our Bible study last Wednesday night just to get you back online with that, and then we'll jump into our material for tonight. So last Wednesday night, um, uh, we talked about um, how to develop vision, and it's based on the Nehemiah story in the Old Testament. This, this presentation is built around the Nehemiah story when he went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. We're going to go through a number of vision points, is what I call them, in this Bible study. There will be 15 to 20 of them. And uh, so far, just to remind you, developing a vision, the first vision point I gave you is vision begins with concern. It begins with burden. The, the second thing that happens is when you have a concern or burden develop in your life that's put there by God. Number two, a vision does not necessarily require immediate action. It was about four months uh, before Nehemiah was able to go back to Israel and start rebuilding the wall, rather Judah, and start rebuilding the wall. 
Uh, it took us 14 months to ultimately purchase this building. Um, it took Abraham about 20 years before Isaac came along. So vision doesn't always happen overnight. Typically, it does not. There's a waiting period in that, and I'll, I'll come to that review in just a moment. But after a prolonged period of waiting, a vision of what could and should be, if we're not careful, can slip into the realm of what will never be. So you have to understand, when God gives you something, He don't always stick it in a microwave oven and you have it in the next 30 seconds. Uh, oftentimes, there's a process involved in it, and usually the way God works, His track record, especially in the Bible, is uh, oftentimes it takes time. So what Nehemiah did that we taught last Wednesday night is, first of all, he prayed. And I don't mean that generically. God put a burden on his heart. God put a concern about his hometown on his heart, and he went to God with it, which is what we should all do. If there's something you want to see come to pass in your life that you believe is the will of God, or if God has put something in you, he's put something on you, then the first thing you do is you pray about it. You want to be sure that you and God are on the same wavelength. <clears throat> I will point out to you, as I did last Wednesday night again, that Nehemiah did not pray for God to go rebuild the wall himself. God, I'm just going to sit here and pray about it, and I'm going to watch you do all the work. He did not. Nehemiah's prayer was for an opportunity to go and do it himself. He wanted to be involved and the will of God being accomplished in his life. He wanted to be involved in it. Across the board, church people have a propensity to pray that way. God, this is what I want. I'm telling you what I want, and I'm going to go sit down, and I'm going to watch you do it. God wants you in the center of it. God uses people to bring about his will and purpose. He spoke the universe into existence, and after he created Adam, after that, he involved people. And I believe if there had been a person around when he created the universe, he would have involved in them. He had had them involved in it some kind of way. God uses people. He uses ordinary people like you and I. The second thing that Nehemiah did is he planned. God put a concern on his heart, and he prayed and began to immediately come up with a plan on how to make this happen. He was very detailed. He was very clear. He worked it out in his head before God gave him a go-ahead. Now keep in mind, he is a captive slave. And he's making a plan to go back to his homeland and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem that's broken down. So if you have a God-given desire or burden in your life, assuming you had the resources, what would you do? Assuming you had the time, what would you do first? It is imperative. If you're going to be a visionary person, you have to pray about it consistently. Remind God often. Second thing is you have to plan. You don't wait for an opportunity to arrive at your doorstep and then start planning. You want to have the plan in place when the opportunity arrives. I thought that was a pretty good point. I know how Americans typically think, and more than that, I know how church people typically think. And we will pray and pray and pray that, God, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, 
And then God sets it all up and the, the opportunity is right in front of us and we have no clue what we're going to do. And the moment passes. It's like an airport. The airplane takes off and it's gone and you can't get it back. I want everybody to understand that. If you're going to be a visionary, you have to pray about it and you have to plan. You have all of your planning done by the time the opportunity presents itself. The third vision point that we talked about is you pray for opportunities and plan <laughs> as if you expect God to answer your prayer. If you pray for opportunities and then you plan as if you expect for God to answer your prayer. When we were wanting to purchase this building seven years ago, eight years ago, I promise you, there's enough people here tonight that knows. I didn't wait until it was for sale. I had the plan, the whole plan in place, and I was just waiting for the opportunity to come to me. And when it came, we were ready, and God worked it out. You have to have a plan. The problem is that many of us fail to pray, and many of us fail to plan, and that's why visions go sour, and they never come to pass. And we have to understand that. Vision point number four that we talked about last Wednesday night is God is using your circumstances to position and prepare you to accomplish his vision for your life. Your circumstances, though they may be negative, does not mean God is not using those circumstances. I've learned a long time ago, being a visionary person, and seeing the will of God come to fruition in my own personal life and in, in, in this church is that uh, <laughs> God don't take you through a rose garden and you tiptoe across lily pads and everything is just hunky-dory, whatever that word means. My dad used to use that word. Um, everything just don't always fall into place. And I've heard more than one person say, man, life was going along good. God was just showing me things and boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden everything just stops. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No one? I'm the only one here that, okay, makes me feel a little bit better. Oftentimes I ask questions that a response would be nice rather than that. Okay. Nehemiah was a captive slave in Persia. He was the king's cup bearer. Do y'all remember that from last Wednesday night? He had to taste everything before the king could drink it because if it was poison, they'd give up Nehemiah pretty quick, pretty easy. He did not have anything in his favor, nothing, to bring his vision for Jerusalem to pass. There was zero. If you looked at his circumstances, there was no chance of him going to Jerusalem and building anything. Zero circumstances. As you folks share with me your, your dreams, your, your visions, what you think, God, you, you think God wants to do in your life, you always, everybody without fail mentions, but the problem with my vision is this circumstance and that circumstance, my marriage isn't good, my kids aren't good, my mom and daddy's not good, my job's not good, my car's not good, my house is not good, and you just keep checking off things that says it'll never happen when that could be the very thing God is using in your favor, to make it happen. It 
even negative circumstances can be the will of God. Ask Paul in the New Testament. Okay. So you'll always know what God has put in your heart to do long before you know how He intends to do it. You'll know what He puts in your heart to do long before you know how He intends to do it. Y'all remember that scripture in the Bible to uh, be not weary with well-doing for in due season it'll all go to pot and it won't work out anyway. Is that what the scripture says? For in due season you'll reap. Y'all don't know that verse? Be not weary in well-doing for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. You just keep on and you keep on and you keep on. You pray and plan, you pray and plan, you pray and plan. If you don't pray and you don't plan, nothing will happen. Just saying. Even when circumstances are good, it's not going to happen. Many visions die between what and how. We know what God has called us to do, but over time, not knowing how he's going to do it, causes us to lower our sights and shoot for a target that we have some hopes of hitting, maybe. So with that being said, let me jump into our material for tonight. What we need to understand about being a visionary. This is vision point number five. What God originates with you, he orchestrates. If he will give you the beginning of it, he'll see to it that it comes to pass. If you stay plugged in and if you'll follow him. Be not weary in well-doing for in due season you'll reap. If you faint not. So when God speaks to us, we always ask, how, God, are you going to do this? How is always a problem with us. But it's never a problem with God. The how part of this is always a problem. Pastor, how are we going to buy this building? I don't know. But God does. And he does, and he did. He did. Remember the story of Mary, y'all remember that little virgin girl? You hear a lot about her at Christmas time. Y'all know who I'm talking about? The angel appeared to Mary and tells her the vision that God has for her life. The angel said, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Let's talk about circumstances. That's the first thing Mary mentioned was circumstances. How can this be? I don't, I have never known a man. I've never been with a man intimately. So how can it be? How can it be? How? I'm good with a what, but I ain't getting the how. See, we accept things in our life. We accept spouses that don't want to cooperate with you when it comes to the will of God. We settle for our children not being where we would like for them to be in the kingdom. We sell, settle for subpar jobs. Somebody just told me this week they had a huge breakthrough on their job. Their spouse did. I hope I can go public with that here pretty soon. Huge breakthrough. I keep hearing this stuff uh, from you folks. God is doing amazing things. But we've learned to settle. We've learned to settle. Because it takes too much accountability and responsibility to be a visionary. We dream about things, but we have no intentions of ever really pursuing things. I'm not giving you a pie-in-the-sky thing. This isn't some Dale Carnegie whatever psycho babble. This is Bible. 
The angel told Mary, you're going to have a baby. And I get it, Mary. I know you are a virgin. I get that. And Mary shrugged her shoulders and said, but it's not possible. And as far as human thinking and human understanding, it's not, right? But the angel said, don't worry about it, because with God... Well, we have a tendency to quote that more like this. Our translation says, well, some things with God are possible. It's not what the angel said. And she took a little girl, tradition says about 16 years old, that had never been with a man, and the Holy Ghost impregnated her with the Savior of the world. Put that in your proverbial pipe and smoke it. So when God puts something in your heart to do, He goes to work behind the scenes to ensure that it happens. It's not up to us to figure out how to pull off the vision that God has put in our heart. Our job is to simply do what we know to do and to wait for God. The best way to serve God is to act like you are a waiter in a restaurant. You serve Him. You bring the things to Him that He asks you to bring, such as prayer, devotion, discipleship, commitment, Bible reading, fasting, etc., etc., etc. That's what you do. You serve Him. And then God works on your behalf as well. So think back with me for a minute. Can you remember one story? Can you remember one story anywhere in the entire Bible where God gave the responsibility of figuring out how a divine vision would be fulfilled to the person that God had given the vision to? Can you think of one story where that happened? Where God spoke to Noah and said, I want you to build an ark. And Noah says, how? And God says, you figure it out. Anybody getting the point here tonight? I'm feeling something just kind of moving about right now. I do. I'm feeling something happen. God puts something in you. He's not going to give you the responsibility of figuring out how to make it happen. He just wants you to serve him. He takes the responsibility. Did Moses have to come up with a plan to get the children of Israel across the Red Sea? Moses said, stand still. God said, "Uh uh-uh, move forward. But we can't. The water's there. I'll take care of the water. This isn't a pipe dream, folks. It works. It works. Was it David's responsibility of the Old Testament to figure out how to get Saul out of the way so he could assume the throne of Israel? David told his own men, don't touch the man. God will take care of that. And when God is ready for me to ascend the throne of Israel, he'll take care of it. God don't ask you to figure out how he's going to do anything. And if he told you how he was going to do something, you wouldn't believe it. I still ponder how Noah got all them animals in the ark. You want a how question? I want two by two and, you know, some of them by seven and whatnot. And and how? I wish there was a little more discourse in the Bible along that line. 
How the vision would be accomplished was not up to these people. They just did what they knew to do and never lost sight of their vision. Never lost sight of it. So helping people have faith to follow God's plan for their lives is something that I'm really passionate about, as you all know. So let's go to the scripture tonight. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. You can follow on the screen if you choose to. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days, and I rose in the night. Notice that. I rose in the night. I and some few men with me neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode on. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, and even before the dragon wall into the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and the gates thereof were consumed with fire then I went on to the gate of of the fountain and to the king's pool but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered the gate of the valley so I returned and the rulers knew whither I went nor what I did neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. In other words, Nehemiah saying, I kept my dumb mouth shut about my vision. I didn't share it with anybody. And although I'm sure Nehemiah's arrival in Jerusalem didn't go unnoticed, he didn't tell anybody right away about the vision that God had given him. I'm going to tell you something there. Again, it's our, I believe, a lot of our American culture but uh, it, it's human nature. Uh, people always respond to you negatively. It happened to me when I announced that I wanted to come try out for the Baker Church 25, almost 25 years ago with 11 or 12 people in it and several family members. I didn't get this high five, man, you go for it. You could do this. Yes, sir, man, you get with it. It's going to happen in Jesus' name. I didn't get that. My own mother asked me, what are you going there for? It's a burnover field. There'll never be nothing there. I've learned a lesson. I've learned a lesson. When I come up with big plans and big ideas and big dreams and all that for Grace Church, I'm very careful who I mention them to. Yes, sir. Most of the time, you don't get people on board with you until it's about halfway happening. And then they're skeptical at that. So, you have to understand, you have to walk before you talk. You walk the walk before you talk the talk. In other words, just keep your dumb mouth shut. You just keep praying, you keep planning, you investigate before you initiate. Remember last Wednesday night, right at the end of the service, we have folks here that you would love for your spouse to come to church with you. You'd love for your spouse to be in church. You'd love for your kids to be here, your parents, all these people. We have a lot of broken families, and, you know, they're splintered all over the place, and, and I get that and I understand that. But when God impresses you with a concern for your family, what you don't want to do, for example, Greg and Carla sitting here, if he doesn't come to church with her, 
She don't get a concern and then run home and tell him, man, I've got a burden for you. I'm going to be praying and fasting for you. And in a year, you're going to be in church with me. He's going to look at her and go, ha, 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 right. And it's pretty discouraging. He's not going to say, well, great, honey, hallelujah. I can't wait to this time next year because I'm going to be in church with you. People don't do that. Y'all understand? They don't do that. They don't act like that. People will discredit you, and they'll say you've tried that before, and you prayed about that before, and nothing ever happened. And then three months pass, six months pass, and there's no change and nothing. And even you begin to get discouraged. If it's a real vision from God, if it's something, a burden, a desire that God has put on the inside of you, it's not going to go away easy. And about the time you think it has gone away, you're going to catch yourself in a prayer meeting, you're going to catch yourself doing some fasting, you're going to catch yourself in a church service, it's going to all come back, and you're going to be like, wow, where did that come from? That's just God's way of saying, you gave up on me, but I have not given up on you. Get with me, get committed, get plugged back in, let's make this thing happen. Come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. So walk, to, walk before you talk. When God lays something on your heart to do, it's probably, good, it's, it's probably a good idea not to go public with it right away. Again, I'm very judicious about who I share my ideas and plans with around here. Chances are nobody is going to be nearly as excited as you are, and there's usually some background work that needs to be done before you go public with your vision anyway. Remember... A burden that comes from God, vision that comes from God, does not necessarily require immediate action. You just kind of tuck it away in your heart. That's what Mary did. The Bible said she pondered these things in her heart. She didn't go tell her mama. She didn't go tell her best friend. And when she heard about what happened to Elizabeth, she went and talked to Elizabeth about it because Elizabeth could relate to her. Because a similar thing was happening to her. So she found someone of like precious faith, of like precious mindset, of like precious perspective. Don't go to the negative people with your vision. They are not going to be supportive. They're going to tell you every reason on the planet why it will never happen. Nehemiah did not go on the midnight ride because he was having second thoughts about the vision. He was being wise. He didn't investigate the walls in order to decide whether or not to go ahead with the project. He wanted to have a better picture of what he he was up against and what Israel would be up against so he could be prepared to answer as many questions as possible. He rode at the midnight hour so nobody would see him and nobody would ask any questions. He kept that to himself until the time was right. He kept it buried on the inside of him. He said in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, Then said said I unto them, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we may be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good to me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. He waited till the time was right. And he got the support of the people. As with all vision, there comes a time to share them with others. It may be from a platform or it may be across the dinner table. But after examining the walls, Nehemiah knew that it was time to let the people of Jerusalem know the purpose of his trip. And there are four things that Nehemiah talked about as part of his vision, and these four things are what make up 
developing a vision point number seven. Communicate your vision as a solution to a problem that must be addressed immediately. Our approach typically to things that we would like for God to do in our lives or whatever is we like to pour mouth about it. You know, I've really been trusting God. I'm going to do a little bunch and breeze here right now. This is a good spot to do this right here. I've been trusting God. Have y'all ever seen preachers do that? Television preachers or television preachers are, are great at it. They'll cry for hours and not a tear is seen anywhere. I just feel like God really talked to me about this. And I do that. That adds more emphasis and pulls more heartstrings with people. If you can do that at the end of a cry sound. You say, Pastor, you're being ridiculous. So are you. I just feel like I've seen women do this. I just feel like God wants to save my husband. Well, of course he does. What do you think happened to God all of a sudden? He hates your husband and of course he does. Take the positive side of it. Man, I believe God wants to do some great things in my family. And I believe the timing is right and I want you to help me pray. If you approach people like that, they won't be so argumentative. And they won't be so negative when they see your mind is made up. This is what God is doing in my life. This is what God's going to do in my life. And he's fixing to start doing it in yours. People respect that. But that, oh God, please help me pray. They're praying for you like you're a martyr. You're being stoned by somebody. And people don't get into that. Just trying to help somebody here tonight. That's all I'm trying to do. So communicate your vision as a solution to a problem. Listen to this, and I'm going to try to hurry. The operative word, try. I'm going to try to hurry. Let's look at the problem. Nehemiah addressed, remember there's four things that, that, he, his, that he's bringing to the table. Number one, there's the problem. He said, you know full well the tragedy of our city. city. He told the Jews that. You know full well the tragedy of our city. It lies in ruins, and its gates are burned. So the problem isn't often very obvious, but over time, many people don't recognize it anymore. And that's where we come to that acceptance thing. Let's talk about your spouse being in church, being involved, being this, being that, or whatever. When they're not over a process of time, people have a tendency to accept that. And they don't feel sorry for you anymore. I want my family in church with me. Okay, I know that, but, I mean, you're not doing anything about it, so why should I get worried about it? Nehemiah was, his whole idea is we have a problem here, and here is the solution to it. This is what we're going to do. Folks, he had a plan. Then he brought to them the solution. The solution to the problem is to not walk around whining because the walls of Jerusalem are torn down and their gates are burned with fire. That's not going to do anything, is it? The answer to that question is no. Let's rebuild the walls, folks. Let's, let's, let's get Jerusalem back on the map. If we can get the walls built, they'll lead us to a temple. Boy, that'll preach right there. We get the walls built, it can take us to building the temple. Stating the problem engages the mind. Listen, this, you can Facebook this, put something good on Facebook. Stating the problem 
engages the mind. But the solution to the problem engages the imagination. All right, we got a problem here and we want to solve it. The problem engages the mind. The solution of that problem engages the imagination. So if we're going to build the walls, how are we going to do it? Nehemiah had a plan. Remember last week? Artaxerxes promised him timber out of the forest and all the stuff you need, everything you need to build the walls of Jerusalem. You got it. He had a plan. He had it all worked out. He brought everything he needed to the table. Stating the vision invites us to imagine the future in a way that demands change in the present. And when you become a true visionary person in the kingdom of God, your attitude will change and your actions will change. So there's the problem, the solution, and then Nehemiah gave them the reason for doing it. All right? Everybody on board with me tonight? We know we've got a problem. I'm using family tonight. You can put anything in that blank you want to put in it. But my family's not where they need to be. Okay, that's the problem. So what's the solution? Do you have a plan? And if you're nagging your family and beating them with a Bible every morning, stop it. Nobody likes to be treated like that. You be kind, you be Christ-like, you be patient. Find out how Jesus took care of people that he wanted to draw closer to him, save the cleansing of the temple. Take that out. Boy, you folks, are y'all, is my mic working here tonight? All right, so the problem, the solution, here's the reason. Here's the reason that Nehemiah gave to these people. We want to rid ourselves of this disgrace. It's a disgrace to our people. It's a disgrace to our God that our walls are torn down and our temple's been burned with fire. We've got to do something about this. That's the reason. You want a reason? Do you have a reason you want your family in church? Just so you have somebody to snuggle up with? Y'all forgive me, Greg and Carla. Please forgive me. I commented to Dallas, as a matter of fact. He sits behind him. I said, did you notice your mom and dad during church? It's like two Sunday mornings ago. I could only see half of him. <laughs> like, dear Lord, we have more chairs. We can go get another chair in the back. I mean, he needs more. <laughs> but that's not a reason to want your spouse in church so you can. That was just too, I apologize. I didn't mean to embarrass you guys. But that's not the reason you want them in church. You want them to be active in the kingdom of God and you want them to go to heaven, man. That's the reason. Does that potential excite you no i'm just i'm used to it they're not going to come they never every time i invite them they say no and we'll come up with a different plan quit inviting them i told you the story last week about the guy that came to church and we prayed him through the holy ghost when we were assistant pastor in chillicothe years ago the guy that came to the door big old tall guy and rough looking dude and had a earring in his ear and said party naked and all that kind of stuff i spent two hours with him in his house i never invited him to church and he showed up the next sunday morning come up with a different strategy if your current plan isn't working quit nagging quit begging quit acting like a martyr and saying the negative stuff you never go to church with me you'll never go to church. quit saying that you're putting it in their head that they'll never go to church with you be positive hey baby let's go to dinner tonight well, that went over like a cement cloud. I don't want to go to dinner with a sinner, the hypocrite. 
the matter with you folks, man? Come on, somebody get behind me here tonight. You want to win your family? Act like Jesus when you're around them. Taking out the cleansing the temple part. Don't get out your whip and start beating them and turning over the kitchen table. That, that's not, probably not going to work in your family. Be nice to them, man, and fix their favorite dinner on Saturday night and really dial it up. Light a candle or two that smells good in the house. You know, make the favorite pie. And then ask very kindly the next Sunday morning, the following day, and love for you to go to church with me. No, I'm not. Okay, no problem. Don't worry about it. And, you know, maybe next time. And walk out the door. Don't cry and moan and get mad and throw stuff and call them a hypocrite and a heathen and all that. Quit that. It is good preaching. You've got to have a reason. So stating the problem engages the mind. Stating the solution engages the, the imagination. But a compelling reason will engage the heart. And that's where Holy Ghost comes in. That's where God comes in. You're just not thinking about it, but it becomes you. It's consuming you. It's enveloped you. And you're like, hey, man, we've got to do this. We've got to make it happen. God, we've got to make it happen. I've said it over and over. I paced the front of this building when we were in this building for 14 months. And come on, God, it was in me, man. I couldn't separate myself from it. I had to have this building. Praying all along. And those of you that were here then knows the story. We didn't have the money. But I had a plan. I didn't have the money, but I had 19 acres on Blackwater that was worth about $600,000. That's what I had. Excuse the expression, but I played that card at the very last, and I won the round, and here we are. I wasn't gambling, but I put my heart into it, man. God will do. You have not because the ask not is different from nagging. You give God a reason, you give Him a compelling reason, and you engage your heart, and then you wait for the timing to be right. Can't you imagine a heckler in the back of the crowd calling out to Nehemiah, Hey, buddy, what's the hurry? These walls have been like this for 100 years. Relax, we'll get around to fixing them one day. Even after stating the problem, the solution, and the reason, it's important to explain why the vision needs to be pursued at this moment. He said, Then I told them about how gracious... How the gracious hand of God had been upon me and how my conversation went with the king. Nehemiah's argument for the timing was based upon how God had already worked to bring all of the circumstances together. But was certainly no coincidence. And just because you see a door slam in your face doesn't mean God's done. Sure, Nehemiah was frustrated and he went through the four months of frustration when he could do nothing but pray and wait. That's what he did, but he did it with all of his heart. But the moment the king asked the question changed everything with him. Why are you sad? Because my people and my city and my temple and God gave him favor. So the last point for tonight is vision point number eight. It's cast your vision to the appropriate people at the appropriate time. People will give what they can afford to meet a need, and we've seen that happen at Grace Church many, many times. I have a quick story to tell you. Um, Y'all know Brother Keith Fletcher. He was here at the first of this year, did a wonderful prophecy revival on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, he had a good friend, home missions pastor, that pastored in South Dakota and uh, had a very long, very difficult story. 
And Brother Fletcher wanted to go preach for him. And this pastor wanted him to come preach for him. And uh, couldn't, it just, they couldn't make it happen. And uh, Brother Fletcher, when he was here the first part of this year, told me that um, he wanted to go preach for the man. And they just didn't have the money. And they were thinking about, you know, what could they do to, to raise the money or whatever. And I said, tell him not to worry about it. Grace Church would take care of it. And he just stared at me. I love doing that. That is the coolest feeling on the planet, man. I thank God. I thank God that we can do that sometimes to, to help folks. It's awesome. And uh, I said, we'll take care of your week's pay. Just, we'll do just like if you were at Grace Church, and we'll take care of your airline ticket and any other expenses they incur. He went, and they had one blowout of revival. I've been waiting forever. But I got an email today from Brother Fletcher from that pastor, and it was long, long email about their whole story. Their story is very similar to ours. God gave them a building they could not afford, provided the money the day of them going to close on the building. They signed a purchase agreement and the whole thing without having any money, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they've got a church that seats about 250 people. It has a great campus the way they described it and very similar to what God is doing here. And they're just blowing and going right now. And it's, it's awesome to be a part of that. But in this case... Brother Fletcher told his vision at the appropriate time to the right person. Some pastors would have looked at Brother Fletcher and said, time is not right for them. God will provide when time's right. When, when God wants you to go up there, he'll provide the money. I heard God speaking to me. Now is the time. And we did. And God did some great things at that church in South Dakota. I don't know that pastor. I don't have to know him. We're, we're in the kingdom, and, and I trust Brother Fletcher, and things happen. So you cast your vision to the appropriate people at the appropriate time. I am very happy to announce, show you how God works. Uh, Brother Fletcher and I are friends, of course, <clears throat> and they've started a conference for young ministers going into ministry called the Call Conference. And uh, I think they've had three or four. I've attended all of them but one. And uh, they've all been in North Louisiana. Well, they decided to break them into parts and do one in North Louisiana one year and do the following year in South Louisiana and then North Louisiana, South Louisiana. Guess where the one in South Louisiana is going to be next year? I'm really pumped about that. So real excited about it. <clears throat> and I uh, will talk to you more about it. It'll be this uh, November 2018. So uh, we're real excited about that. But this is what God does. You throw seed out into his harvest and it just, God does all kind of crazy things with it. It's, it's amazing what God does. So people will give what they can afford to meet a need, but they will give sacrificially towards a vision that bears the marks of God's involvement. And when you have your heart into your vision, you can get people around you that's going to help support that vision and help you bring it to pass. And there will always be needs. But when an opportunity comes along, to invest our time and resources in something God is up to. It's amazing how much more time and treasure people are willing to invest. Um, another awesome victory story. Y'all remember brother and sister Riddick, Rusty Riddick missionaries uh, that were here uh, several months ago. Um, uh, they were said if you could buy a block for a dollar or two, whatever. They had so many blocks to build a church building. As it all ended up, Grace Church ended up providing enough money for them to build three church buildings in Sierra Leone, Africa. Uh, all of you folks that pledged, 
All of that money came in about a week ago to the tune of $16,000 that we have sent to uh, headquarters that will be forwarded on to the Riddicks. And I said there's a lot of civil war in Sierra Leone right now, and uh, some of their buildings have been destroyed by the war, and they need this money desperately to rebuild those buildings. It's a timing thing. We didn't know all of that was going to happen three or four months ago when you folks decided pretty much on your own. All I said is we need to help these folks, and money just kept coming in. We didn't know this was going to be the need, but God did. His will and purpose and timing is impeccable. And, folks, we have to understand that. So we always want to be mindful of people who have their heart into their vision. So all of this sounds easy, doesn't it? But remember that starting and launching a vision is only the beginning. And it's another thing to see it through to its completion. Anything kingdom-related always starts with great enthusiasm. But just starting something doesn't always provide enough momentum to complete it. I don't know how many pastors have told me in the past, some of you will know of some, where we want to build a new building and we're going to get the church people to do it. The first two weeks, everybody's there. The last two weeks of the building project, you're lucky if you can get two there. The excitement doesn't carry on through. But if you're the visionary person, you have to make sure that it carries through. Your vision carries through. You have to maintain the excitement and not depend on others to do it for you. When we built the building next door a couple of years ago, several people said, man, we have this kind of person, that kind of person in the church said, no, 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 we want to hire it to a contractor, get a contractor to build a building, and we'll pay subs and all that, and that's what we did, and I'm thankful for that. Boo took on that project, did an amazing job, him and Brian. And, uh, but that's why I didn't do it with church people. We'd had everybody out there the first two weeks. But six months later, when there's two weeks left to go, you can't get anybody out there to do anything. That's one of the difficulties of vision. When it's your heart, then you're the one that's responsible and accountable to see into it. Then it comes to pass. You can't depend on others to do it. I don't want to make vision sound difficult. It's not. Vision is not difficult. What you need to understand about vision is is a process. Everybody say process. And it takes time for God to bring your desires to pass. One last biblical story, and then I conclude. What was Jesus' disciples doing when he was talking to the woman at the well in Samaria? Does anybody know? Do y'all realize that they weren't even there when he was talking to them? He had them go to town, to Walmart, and buy some groceries for a dinner they was going to have a little bit later. He did that because they weren't plugged in to what he was doing with a woman that was half Jew and half Gentile. They would have been a problem had they been there because Jews weren't supposed to socialize with those kind of people. But Jesus orchestrated his vision and got the results he wanted without the support of his disciples. And your friends and your close family and all that kind of stuff may support you and they may not. You have to be willing to carry through either way. Don't give up. Don't lose sight. 
Let God just keep leading, guiding, directing you, putting you here, putting you there, and what have you. And when the timing's right and doors open, you're prepared, you've prayed, you've planned, you walk through the door. That's the way vision works. We won't have church next Wednesday night because of Thanksgiving. We've done this every year for years. As Brother Wheeler said, we'd like to have you spend time with your family. Uh, but the following Wednesday night, Lord willing, we'll pick up our third lesson on how to develop vision. Did y'all think it was pretty cool being here tonight? I did. I love Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, I love to give y'all a brain stretch as often as I can. If you'll become a visionary, you'll be amazed at what God can do in your life. And some of you folks are already seeing it. Just give God a little bit to work with. Give him your mind, your heart, your determination, your zeal. Give him a lot of prayer and a lot of planning. You'll be surprised what God will do in your life. And don't give up. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Stand with me here tonight. And everybody say, thank the Lord for being with us tonight. Okay, for all of you that thinks you can never pray a benediction at the end of a service, you just did. So God bless you. See, visions come to pass already in your life. So uh, God bless you. Shake hands with our guests. Shake hands with one another. Greet one another. Smile. Be friendly. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning in Jesus' name.